I'm here with Andrew Friend, and we're about to start an interview with Garnet Hertz. How are you doing, Garnet? Doing great. All right. Making <laughs> sure all the microphones work. Yeah, everything's going perfectly back in the Sackler Center in the Victoria and Albert Museum. So, Garnet, thanks for being with us. It's great to be here. Yeah, I, I want to I say a few things about how we met. I was a student at Art Center when we met, and you were uh, the person who was teaching the, probably it was called the Critical Frameworks class. Yeah, that's y correct. Yeah, and so that's where I became um, uh, sort of, you know, th this is how I got my bearing on the speculative design practices. And um, one of the things that you mentioned in Disobedient Electronics, Carl DeSalvo's adversarial uh, design. Uh, yeah. And so... To kind of open this up, can you tell us what how the disobedient electronics is a continuation or sort of a, a more pointed approach into your uh, critical making practice and how it continues the publication project critical making, if, yeah. if it does? Yeah, it does, for sure. Um, I mean, the disobedient electronics project actually came directly out of feeling a bit of futility and... Uh, Desperation after the uh, American election yeah. results, okay. and uh, my my spouse is American, who I met in California. Right, and I'd lived in uh, in uh, California for twelve years. I'm Canadian, um, but uh, I found that I wanted to do something as sort of a hopeful gesture or a, something to bring to light a lot of very interesting projects that I had seen around that um, used electronics in uh, a way that raised questions. Uh, so using industrial design, electronic design, uh, media art projects, tactical media projects, and trying to bring uh, those to the forefront as a way for people to look at this as inspiration to say okay like we it's it's a good time to be uh protesting things right and it's uh there's a lot of interesting things um besides just holding a banner and a sign right um which is good but right. um my my area of expertise is uh electronics and diy electronics and design yeah um, so but l let me ask you something because I, I see that um, in, in your work there's also kind of a, a commentary and a critique of uh, maker culture. I mean, it's not only a critique, it's sort of a uh, sort of an interrogation to reclaim maker culture in this particular case to not attempt to present it as out of any kind of political sphere, especially in this day and age that the political is embedded in, uh, in any kind of practice. And so um, I wanted to hear a little bit about how you went about to study maker culture or your, or your background as a maker yourself, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I started working with um, microcontrollers and things uh, before the Arduino had come out. Right. Um, very similar to the Arduino, and I'd seen, been involved in uh, building electronics, had done uh, a couple of telerobotic projects and robotic projects. Yeah, you have a, a, a famous project in, in which uh, that's sort of a, a humongous machine that a cockroach uh, controls and drives around. I forget the name of the project. I'm sorry. Yeah, but yeah it's it called, really fun. Called Cockroach Controlled Mobile Robot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, really amazing, by the way, on the website. And uh, so I had been involved in, in 
cobbling together electronics and kind of figuring that out on my own and and uh, using Usenet and early internet FTP and this sort of stuff quite a while ago and so so had seen um, uh, this scene develop and right. then it sort of got kind of went mainstream and kind of uh, sort of hit the big time with the release of the Arduino in, right. uh, I think that was 2003 or 2004, something yeah. like that. Um, but at the same time, as it became mainstream, it also became uh, uh, popularized and depoliticized in some ways. Right. Um, and... and you know, and I think some of that was um, wanting to shy away from the concept of hacking. Right. Um, I right. mean, from what... Sort of clean it up away from hacking and present yes. it to a larger audience. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think maker... Maker, as a term, is really good because yeah. it's, I think it's more gender-inclusive than, than the term hacking right. or hacker. Right. Um, I think that's a very male-oriented term. Make, so making is a good term, but it's um it is it does kind of miss the bite of of tactical media right. of the media art kind of scene right. so my interest in 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 several projects that I've done is to take the um take that uh and try to repoliticize or or put the bite and the claws back into that that kind of work and to highlight projects that that uh, are a bit more controversial and maybe not as family friendly. Right, and and certainly um, I think uh, in the in the in the introduction to disobedient electronics, it mentions that uh, this kind of making can be a real something that can really be polemical and, and argue in favor or sort of shine a lens on a on a on a. Um, inequality in society, essentially, sort of, you know, uh, wage gaps. Kind of opening up a conversation, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the kind of critical side of it is kind of interesting when you talk about the fab labs and this kind of democratization of tools, but then what we're using these tools for as well. So not, not just necessarily using these for political kind of gains or kind of big social things, it's even just making people think a bit more about what it is they're actually making in the fab lab with their 3D printer or their kind of Arduino board. This yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I think there's a, there's a recurring kind of trope of new technologies coming out and people being caught up in the sort of the special effect of the new technology, whether they have an Arduino and they're wanting to make a lot of LEDs blink or if they have a 3D printer. Um, and they print up a uh, Yoda head or whatever. Classic uh, example. Yeah, um, it's it's. I've seen both of those. I want to say yeah. It's it, the problem then after the new technology, after you get over the euphoria over of the, the new, over yeah. the, over the new thing, is to say like, well, what, what's the content here, and and what are we doing this for? Yeah. And and in that way, I think the maker community can really learn from what design has been doing for decades and what art has been doing for for decades, <laughs> centuries, and uh, and that that's one way that I think the maker community can really learn from art and design. Mm. And so I want to ask you about um, the publication component of uh, of uh, critical making, the short publication, and disobedient electronics. Um, how does 
kind of curating these projects or, or making a book, how does that come into it, into your practice? Because, again, as you mentioned, you're somebody who proceeded via technology. And I remember at Art Center, you were, you were saying that even learning how to make a small book was a whole sort of endeavor in itself of learning a whole new craft. And so I wanted to know how the publication, why the decision of making that kind of publication, let's say, in addition or rather than a website or, you know, how does that come into play? Yeah, I mean, I... I'm not traditionally a bookmaker, right. although I had experimented with making zines and stuff like that as a teenager and, and read lots of things like that. Um, so for m to decide to make this book by hand is, is a combination of partially dissatisfaction over current academic publishing, right. which tends to take a long time to do. Yeah. Um, as well, within the framework of critical design or experimental uh, electronic media art, there's not really a lot of publications or journals besides maybe Leonardo and right. a few others. Um, and so, and then also, I, coming from a studio background, I was interested in making a, a physical book because. I thought, well, the audience for this thing is quite small. Right. Um, and that I can probably hit most of the people who really, really want to know about it if I uh, make 300 copies and, and target them at the people who I think are really going to engage with it. So right. part of it was trying to sort of make a lovingly made object, giving it to people as a gift. Right. And then but only really giving it to people who are going to appreciate it. So right. it in some ways in some ways it's an experiment in you know I guess you could say like knowledge dissemination um and and it seems to kind of be backwards to just putting everything online for free. But I I think there's something to be said about um, why people like vinyl, for right. example. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Or yeah, the kind of artifact being the thing that you cherish and you're going for here. Yeah, yeah. It's still that that aspect is still important, and I think I think it's easy to forget that. Yeah. Um, in in and I think you know oh, the whole project, uh, the call for submissions, the entries, and all this sort of stuff. The kind of the building up of it was all done couldn't have been done without the web that's right and as a matter of fact uh, I think I remember when you put out the, the call last November or something like that probably mm -hmm. yeah early December um, and uh, and it was sort of amplified by Bruce Sterling who's also sort of a figure in the extended field of design and sort of and famous for communities as well in yeah. yeah 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 that, that um, so um, so yeah, I wanted to know, to zoom in on, on sort of a methodology a little bit and maybe to hand it over back to, to Andrew, I wanted to just ask a general question about uh, when you run workshops and when you teach, how do you sort of formulate um, the outcome, you know, because sort of there's a sort of the intangible outcome of learning, right, that you would, you would go, even if you make your first DIY project and the project itself is not very successful, it's how you worked out all the, all the issues and then the second project you can make is very good. So I wanted to know how you sort of formulate that when you run a workshop or when you when you teach a class at, at a various level, how you sort of set what the what the tangible outcome is and and the and the learning outcome because in for the VVFA workshops and I'll, I'll hand it over to Andrew, 
a lot of what's come out of them is to more and more draft these short narratives that can be expressed you know verbally and then turn into performances or that we then draft into something that's a bit more packaged um, that's an audio narrative so I don't know perhaps Andrew you have a yeah, more particular I mean, question within the that workshop kind of process and how you maybe it's worth just kind of describing if you can how, how your workshops kind of operate and who who they're often for the kind of audiences and, and yeah how, how you go about doing it yeah I mean it depends on the on the length of the workshop or course that I'm teaching um, there are like if you think about take an example of an undergraduate class I would typically have students build projects over the course of maybe six weeks right. and um, do several iterations. Uh, in, the, in the case where I'm teaching, I'm teaching now in, a, in an industrial design program and primarily uh, teaching electronics, so like Arduino and this right, sort right. of stuff. Um, so I'm interested in, in students I, I think for me it's important for students to try to um, dig through and figure out a good uh, basis and concept for the project so they'll go through and iterate several different concepts at the same time I'm, I'm quite deliberately insistent on making that thing work Sure, okay, so um, it's kind of a real uh, tangible outcome. It's just come to something quite interesting when we look at your, your projects, for instance, the cockroach robot that Jasmine mentioned earlier. These are often kind of doing things in a kind of round, more roundabout way than you could, um, mm -hmm. this kind of DIY aesthetic and actually almost analog kind of way of doing things, making stuff work, rather than doing, simulating it on a computer or doing it that way. You're representing kind of it only in the process there or yeah and and it it could be that um i mean i think part of it has to do with spending time growing up on a farm and <laughs> and liking machines yeah. and uh, it could be you know nostalgia on my part uh at liking these physical artifacts um but i think it's also uh, when you have a physical artifact for me, it has a different kind of legibility um, that, that if I'm having this cockroach robot go down a hallway at, at a festival or like a venue like this, yeah. you can kind of intercept people in a different kind of place. And somebody, you know, a five-year-old uh, kid or a grandparent or a different language a pe person yeah, who speaks yeah. a different language has has a way to access that, yeah. that so it's kind that of a artifact a, a kind of tool for engagement basically the artifact here to get people on board with an idea or with a, with a bigger kind of narrative maybe. yeah so i mean i guess you could think of it as like a thing to think with okay right <laughs> yeah that's that's great actually um because you know for me i always think of um of film and sort of in, in larger narratives that are basically things that we are commonly shared but it's it, it requires a certain amount of digesting it's sort of um you know if you have a common uh, set of filmic references with somebody then you can have a develop an idea and have a free association with but that's quite different that kind of literary mindset so to speak is quite different from um the immediate impact of a sculptural or sort of robotic uh you know object that that functions in a room that's really like 
like substantially different as an experience. Yeah, I find. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a different. It's very different style than than writing a piece yeah. or or building out a well crafted narrative like mm. you know very very far away yeah um, where it's in some ways it's less precise you yeah. know I think it, when you build an artifact you're not exactly sure how people are going to interpret it you have less control over it but you do have the ability to sort of not like punch people in the gut, but right. you, well, you in some, it, de- it depends ways. on the project. Right. Yeah, yeah, sure. But uh, you you have the ability to hit people quite hard. Oh, I believe I understand that completely. I've yeah. Made so projects with a lot of yeah. things that actually do project into people and hit them very hard. Yeah, and it, and it can be quite tricky because so. people can misinterpret it. And, yeah. and but, but with writing or with sculpting out a, a well-crafted narrative, it's more like doing surgery. You know? Yeah. You, you can do much more finely tuned tweaking and pushing and pulling, and it, it's much more... Um, much more subtle and much more articulate, I think. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask, speaking of getting punched, you reminded me of, um, of the, there's an old project called The Pain Station, which I think was a sort of Pong video game that would lash at you and stuff like that. Yeah. Which is one of the more fun things I, I participated in uh, when it was shown at the Hamburger Bahnhof in like 2007 or something. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I wanted to ask, you know, in, t- in terms of projects that are very heavily polemical or kind of cutting and biting, is there a project that stands out more particularly for you in the book, uh, Disobedient Electronics, when you think of something that's a re- really direct engagement with an audience or something like that? Well, there's several different different examples. Um, one very clear one is the 79% work clock. That was, um, it's basically this uh, clock that has an alarm that goes off at three o'clock in the afternoon to, uh, alert women to when they're because because of the pay equity oh i see gap wow. women getting paid uh 79 percent on average uh for the same job compared to a man um there's an alarm clock that goes off at 79 percent of the work day right uh to alert women that you know okay well it's time to pack up and go home you might as well go home you're not getting paid right, right. um in that case it was an it was a clever artifact um, that uh, was used to highlight a, a, a serious yeah, issue that, Im- I- that impacts a lot of people. Right. Um, but uh, it did it in a way that, you know, you could fit it, you know, it's the size of an orange or something like that. Right. You can fit it in your hand. It It sort of makes an argument in a different way that I think sort of, bends people's minds a bit to go oh yeah i never really thought about that in that perspective right yeah yeah and these are actually functioning objects then that are not just say a prop for this kind of thing which is often the case of a lot of speculative or critical design projects they they may take the aesthetic language of uh something which could do these fantastic kind of things or if you want which fit into a very well thought through kind of dialogue and position here this is all actually functioning yeah yeah although i think with all of these projects they're done in limited kind of runs it's more kind of like a bespoke kind of artifact i don't know that any of them are really mass produced right 
Um, or in some cases, uh, mass-producible. You know, yeah. Yeah, I think I think many of them, uh, most of them, are mass-producible. Okay. Um, but I think their primary argument is, I mean, in some ways, it is a prop. You know? Yeah. It is a prop for an argument, but the the prop actually functions, uh, and and you see a lot of differing um, takes on this from you know work through uh f- formerly or well it still is rca uh, formerly done in raby right you know um where there's differing degrees of how the artifact works uh and how it's fits into a narrative and how mm. uh, you know how it spins out a narrative and a story there's there's a lot of differing degrees of uh, opinion about whether it, it needs to work or whether the primary deliverable is the, f- the documentation premise. that yeah. the premise yeah. and and uh, there's a lot of different angles on that I'm, I'm not like a uh, hater of narrative and things that don't work because quite frankly if you go to any any uh, festival Mm-hmm. Uh, often, some of the projects aren't working. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. From this morning's yeah. session. Yeah. What's the nature of prototyping something <laughs> is that yeah, it has that the artifact is almost quasi there. It's sort of it's kind of the very nature of that kind of work. Also, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and and often yeah. people, you know, dissemination is uh, also a big issue. People, people aren't going to have the opportunity to find one of these, you know, five hundred clocks that was made. Yeah. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna find a about it through the uh, viral video, yeah, you know, sure, or sure. The, the video documentation. Yeah. Um, but in order to really make good documentation, often it yeah. helps if the thing actually yeah, works. Yeah. 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 That's the. I find that the that's the tricky issue of you know ultimately are you building a website that represents prototypes or sort of this is why I think of outcomes. You know, in my work, it, it becomes complicated when you think of things that are audio because to present them, the, the beauty of audio and disembodied voice and radio is it's just, you know, sort of something you wear headphones, essentially, is almost a delivery method mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. Or being a Californian, your car, you know, sort of, <laughs> it's very much embedded in that kind of listening situation. But ultimately, you wonder what you have to do in order to present that correctly, you know, on a website or sort of, you know, yeah, if the, the accompanying publication. Engage with it easily and quickly. So. Yeah. That seems to be seems to be quite tricky. Um, well, so Garnet, I think we're gonna we're gonna let you go. But thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thanks, Thanks. very much. Yeah. <laughs>